0: Put your hands up. Put your hands, nah, put your hands down. Put them in the ground.
1: Mix it with the brown. It's that doom sound. Even if it's age old. Fresh it in some putty. Eye. Even if we day old. Y'all Yo, put your hands up. Put your hands, nah, put your hands down. Put them in the ground.
0: Mix it with the brown. It's that doom sound. Even if it's age old. Fresh it in some putty. Eye. Even if we day old. Oh so yeah the main thing is just knowing that mike is here um he's here on the kibbutz he's the one who manages the EcoCaf program which is the whole like center for sustainable or for um, creative ecology and basically <laughs> he and I are working together to work on um, turning this uh, Center for Creative Ecology into a KNF training center as well. So this is, um, this is pretty much the main person I've been working with in Israel to get like the, uh, the whole program and workshops and everything going.
1: Well, that's, that's sweet. Um, so, yeah, why don't, why don't we get started? Um, and Mike, why don't you uh, get started like by introducing yourself a bit?
2: Uh, hi. So my name is Mike Kaplan. I'm the director of the Center of Creative Ecology uh, at Kibbutz Lotan in Israel. I'm originally from England. You can maybe hear from my accent. I've been here about 33 years. Uh, and... Here, really, in one of the most extreme deserts in the world where we live, uh, we really wanted to grow uh, organic vegetables literally in the sand. And so for many, many years now, something like 30 years, we've been building up the sand by uh, making compost from our food scraps, uh, from the kibbutz. where We're a community of uh, 150 adults, about 50 children. Uh, we have a communal dining room, so we have a lot of food scraps. And we've been adding that into the soil all those years. Uh, and a few months ago, I met Sam, and that uh, really um, has been an incredibly exciting direction into the Korean natural farming.
1: Oh, right on. And um, did you listen to our previous podcast between Sam and I?
2: No, I didn't. I'm afraid. I'm embarrassed to say no.
1: <laughs> okay. Well, I've been uh, talking with Sam a bit. So, um, Sam, what do you what do you think is most important for um, us to talk with Mike about while we have him here in his time?
0: Yeah. So the thing I'm thinking about is talking about the partnership between Korean natural farming and permaculture. Uh, Mike has actually set up the EcoCup here in uh, the, the Kibbutz, primarily based around the practices of permaculture. Um, and after like seeing what's going on here and taking the time to study more of KNF, I realized that there's a great opportunity for a partnership between the Korean natural farming Solutions as well as the permaculture methods. Um, so that was kind of the idea was to come together and out here in this extreme climate, as Mike was mentioning, Um, to basically sit down and say like, okay, permaculture has already been working extremely well out here. Because when you look at a lot of the other farms, like commercial farms, and and like even the other organic farms, like based on the permaculture methods, the soil was able to develop significantly more. The plants are a lot healthier. Like you can tell it's a more involved ecosystem than the other like organic farms or even the, of course, the uh, conventional farms far beyond all those. Um, So that being said, when I saw that, I was like, okay, like, we're already in a climate that is very intense, it's very hot. And then I saw the success rate of the permaculture, but realized that permaculture is like a, a model just waiting for KNF to kind of come in and tie it all together. So I was thinking that there would be a good way and a good partnership to be able to use these microbes to start distributing and breaking down the nutrients that permaculture already will be including into the environment. Um, and so far, we've been, we've come up with some good ideas and we've been able to talk. But the main thing that I just wanted to share with um, with everybody here was about how um, how Mike was able to come in and him and his team were able to set up like what is now, I believe you said it's zoned as what, a subtropical climate? A relatively, like it's relatively subtropical within the EcoCup, yeah? So it's like, basically, like you go into a desert where nothing can grow and through basic permaculture methods, they rather changed the climate inside of the the area where we do a lot of farming so to me that was really interesting and yeah so we started talking more about KNF and how they could be partnered together so I think those were that was kind of the big topic of this right now is mainly just showing how not only KNF can be used in like a desert environment but also how it can be paired with permaculture but not just limited to permaculture um but kind of showing that hey like we are teaching a separate farming style, but it's also a style that can be used with other styles. And I think that's kind of where where the strength was at in this one.
2: If I can add a little bit from that. So for 20 years, we've been teaching what's called uh, the green apprenticeship, uh, which at the moment is the format is a one month um, ecological Permaculture Design Certificate, which has a lot of practical and also a lot of theory. Uh, and I think traditionally, uh, the 14-day the uh, Permaculture Design Certificate was a way where many new things got introduced, things like straw bale construction, sort of, sort of any teacher, myself being a permaculture teacher, if I see something which is of real value, uh, so I added into the course. And so this could be a really great way, I think, that we can teach more Korean natural farming uh, via the permaculture design course. So I saw the potential straight away. and it, it blew my mind. So as soon as possible, we started integrating into our course. We we'll do sort of an introductory five-hour lesson as part of the, the PDC, permaculture design certificates. Uh, and then we're offering after that a full a level one certification for someone who wants to stay on uh, and carry on studying KNF. Uh, and I think that's just a great way to just open people's minds. I mean, people who've never heard of KNF before, this way they're they're getting an introduction, uh, and hopefully we're just going to turn on a lot more people to this really incredible method. And that's I think that's all we've got to do. We're in sort of a situation now where we've got to get the information out uh, as fast as possible and, and start implementing, implementing, implementing.
1: And, and Mike, can I ask you, how do you see natural farming and these Korean natural farming methods fitting into what you already have g- growing?
2: It seems to me that it can really unlock the potential which I have here from so many years of organic practice. It seems like the carenet has this, this enormous potential to, to help with no, the, I guess the biodiversity of the soil and of the plants and of the, the whole area. Because we do have uh, problems with, because with, we're sort of an o- oasis in the middle of the desert. So when spring hits and everything's really green, we have a lot of problems with, with insects. Uh, I think we have things which are locked in the soil which aren't being released. And I, and I see that KNF is going to really uh, help stabilize the farm uh, and, and give it. I don't know something which which I, I felt was always lacking. I was always sort of working maybe a little bit, not against nature, but there was just something missing. I've got this feeling that KF is this is this missing link.
1: Yeah, well, I've seen that happen on my farm, where really what the practices are are to bring balance, which I yeah. think is is a lot in line with permaculture. But this is like canF is maybe balance from the things you don't see
2: Yes,, yeah, absolutely, yeah I can I can get that. So
1: have you made any of the solutions yet, Mike?
2: So, as soon as Sam arrived, yeah, I sort of grabbed him, and in, in any spare time I had, we started making all of this. Well, as many of the solutions, which was easier for us, we've got, the, we've got the Red Sea close to us. We started collecting <laughs> seawater. We started um, straight away, um, I started making wooden boxes for the IMO. And so we've got all sorts of areas where we're trying at IMO. Um, we now just finished our first batch of OHN because it's not easy to get some of the materials. So, uh, so some of that stuff I ordered from abroad to bring in. Um, Yeah, WCP, WCA, we started making straight away. So um, now we're just, this is our sort of big season coming up now. Spring is just starting to hit. And so uh, I hope now we have enough of all the the core solutions that we're really going to give it a good go.
1: And have you been using any compost tea type of things previously?
2: Yes, we have. We have. We do have uh, our worm farms here. So we have, do have uh, worm tea. We also do do uh, compost tea as well. We do also have uh, biogas as well. So we also use the biogas um, fertilizer, which comes out the other end, uh, also as a natural fertilizer. Uh, so we have been using those sort of things uh, also for the roots and also spraying on the plants. Uh, and also in the past we have. Also had times where we've worked with biodynamics as well, uh, so 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 straight away I, I saw the the connection between everything, uh, and, and you know, this uh, LKNF, this has it seems like it has a little bit of everything, but it, see, it seems so simple and so easy, uh, and yeah, it sort of really filled in the gaps I think for me.
1: All right, right on. How how are you? Um... How are you presently, like, fertilizing your your plantings?
2: So, uh, at the beginning of every season or, or every new plant, we're putting in. So, we're adding the compost in, the ready compost, uh, and then as needed, we, we will do. We'll spray on fertilizer or fertilize the roots uh, for the longer crops, sort of the heavier feeders, uh, things which are going to take a longer time, tomatoes and things like that. Uh, but, in general min- minimum no not too much when, when we're they're in the the the, the plant nursery, so there will normally on a weekly basis we 'll we'll fertilize uh, the plants until they get out into the field but also what 's interesting with us is we have our problem with our brackish water. our water comes from the aquifers underground, which have uh, have salted minerals inside it, so actually, when we grow them from seed. In the plant nursery, we're using drinking water. And then when they go outside into the field, uh, they're actually going onto the, the brackish water. Uh, they don't seem to have that much of a shock. but There must be a bit of a difference for them. Although we've got a lot of organic material now in the soil, I imagine also help.
1: And do you... Do you um... Like bubble that water at all, or make make tea, or it's it's kind of just like oxygenating it all, or it's just kind of this um, it's it's um sea seawater that's been des- desalinated, right?
2: Um, well, it's very very, I don't know it's prehistoric water which has been um, held in these aquifers in these pockets. Uh, so depending on the aquifer, there'll be different amounts of salt and minerals inside them. Uh, and the Israeli Water Company will sort of mix them together and try and get through the different grades of, of uh, water which can be suitable for agriculture. And some of them will be uh, better than others. So they will come through the lines. It depends uh, where you are in this area. Uh, so it's not what we're getting at the moment is not super, super salty, but definitely over time, uh, if you're not sort of flushing, if you're not giving extra irrigation for it to bring the salt down, uh, you may have problems over time, so that's also where myself and Sam have been uh, talking a lot about how that can help that situation.
1: Well, are you are you able to get a tank, like a large tank, and then like like say uh, ten thousand gallons or something, and then ferment in there, and then run that into your injection lines that you're irrigating with?
2: We we have looked at, looked into that in the past. Um, we we haven't done it. We do do fifty five gallon drums with bubblers, with uh, qu- uh, aquarium pumps and things like that. But we haven't done anything of that scale yet. Um, I'm trying to think how many of that is in liters because we don't work in gallons. Well,
1: that would be four thousand liters, or, or excuse me, forty thousand liters. But but maybe maybe not that big. Maybe scale it down to a thousand gallons. So like four thousand. You know, meters. So
2: like four cubic meters. Yeah, that's a big tank.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, to to be able to to ferment and aerate that, like, I, I'm not sure how much water you're using each time you irrigate, but if maybe up to like like a, a certain percentage of your water, you could have this injection line where you're sending yeah. in fermented seawater and and um, you know these other nutrients.
2: That would definitely be the most efficient way to do it, to go through the drip line, that's for sure. Uh, we just need to be very careful not to um, clog up the drippers, but well. I'm sure yeah we would have some sort of filtration system for sure. So, um, yeah, definitely that would be the most efficient way to go, maybe. Um, depending on how often we would need to give it to the plant. Because yeah. I know on another farm they do sort of less sort of, yeah. Level.
1: How, how often are you presently irrigating
2: so we're we're irrigating uh once twice three times a day sometimes we're, we're giving small pulses of water but so keeps uh moist uh, and also so it doesn't run run through the soil so uh, it's not a lot yeah that's the beauty of the drip irrigation is that it is that drip Grip, drip, so it's giving time for the plants to, to soak it up, to take it as it needs it. Um, so, so we'll do it sort of in the morning, in midday, and in the afternoon. We normally do three small pulses, uh, something like 20 minutes, something like that. Uh, and we have different drippers. Well, we have internal drippers. Normally it's 1.2 liters an hour, something like that, for vegetables at least. But the trees we're giving a lot more.
1: So one one point two liters an hour per per veggie or per um, per your row uh,
2: per veggie, depending if it's something like broccoli, tomatoes, something which uh, we normally have thirty centimeter spacing in between drippers. Uh, but if we're doing baby leaves, so there's going to be one dripper and there's going to be a lot of a lot of plants around it, very very close together. So it depends but everything is with irrigation here. We, we don't really use the overhead sprinklers, also because of um, the evaporation, also because of the salt.
1: Okay, and do you, do you ever do any um, pest control?
2: So as much as possible, we try and let nature do the work. Uh, we really try to spray the least amount as possible. On the very very few occasions, we'll maybe use a uh, neem from the neem tree, sort of we'll make a neem twine, or we'll buy a neem product that we can then spray. But it, but even that, I feel, is quite invasive, in that it's uh, messing up sort of the, the natural cycle of things going on. So so we have quite a few insect hotels that we've set up uh, with all sorts of little holes drilled in to try and get some predatory uh, wasps hanging around. Uh, we do have ladybugs who turn up. Like we do have uh, lots of different types of bees, which would just sort of as soon as things start flowering. So there is it is. So for being in the middle of the nowhere, uh, I mean, it's quite incredible. As soon as you plant something, just nature turns up. Uh, insects turn up. So, so we have sort of uh, everything you'd have, probably, from the point of view of insects. And also we have probably the same weeds as well
1: interesting interesting yeah um so have you looked into any of the natural farming pesticide solutions or
2: uh, no i haven't yeah no i haven't
0: we haven't really gone into much of the pesticides or any of that kind of stuff that's out here um primarily just because since the information so new to everybody i've been just focusing on the nine core solutions just to get like a a general understanding before we start jumping into some of the more side solutions and the, like, uh, the uh, other ones out there.
1: Yeah, that that totally makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I think, I think the approach is, um, you know, going for plant health and soil immune system over, um, you know, spraying or trying to, to attack the pests.
0: And I think like like Mike was saying too, we've been noticing like more and more, like you plant something and bugs come. But then I also noticed that like the more IMO, the more FPJ and like the specific types of FPJ I was doing, like it was starting to change my soil, like to the point where I have getting different weeds. Like in my garden, like I have weeds now that like I don't see all over the place around here. And I have like nettle that came up that supposedly doesn't even grow in the valley. So. Um, I've noticed that as we start changing the soil foundation and we start building our soil, it's like the bugs, the plants, like everything built upon it seems to change as well. So that's kind of been the, the big focus. Yeah, it's like really focusing on that soil health and trying to build a system that you know, as you get the bugs, like you just cause it to evolve more. You make sure you look at the weeds that you have and look at the different things you have and understanding like what those attract and what they repel, you know. Um, so that's kind of been like the the like the low key focus over here. But yeah, the lately though with this winter, it seems like towards the end of um like the end of January into February, it seems like there was kind of like a bloom of like bacteria as well as um a lot of like more aggressive insects and pests. Um and I was affected by it for about a week and then I went out and I started putting out like this IMO four that I had brought with me. So it wasn't even like official IMO four because it wasn't that local, but I was like, hey, it's all I got, it's the strongest thing I got. So I put it out and almost immediately the bugs started changing like in the area I put it. So you know it's definitely things like there's a process of like, do we want to change the the foundation or do we want to attack the pest? But there's definitely options for sure, fortunately. And I think that's something we'll be getting into or some of the more uh Alternative KNF test uh, repelling solution.
1: Um, well, Mike, I know you got to kind of jump off here pretty soon, but uh, do you do you have any um, do you have any questions for me?
2: The the KNF insect repellent is really really interesting because, like I said, as the spring hits, we have a real sort of dominant amount of the soft insect that turn up before the predators have time to kind of you know, be born and, and sort of start to take hold. Take so that's really interesting. Uh, but I, I totally agree with the, uh, the idea of the, getting the foundation correct first. I think that's what it's slowly doing here. Um, specific questions. I think as our season starts to our spring season starts, so I imagine we will have more questions. Uh, but, and now that's fantastic. So I'm gonna say goodbye for now.
1: Okay. Well, it was, it was good to talk to you, Mike. And I know, um, I know. Well, actually, I got, I got one more question for you about uh, the the video you watched, the animal system video. Yes. How how was that?
2: Uh, you know what? I, I think I watched about three quarters of it. I don't think I've seen it to the very very end yet, uh, and I need to look over it again. Uh, I don't remember there been enough um, sort of hands-on how-to information about it. But you know what? I, I'll look through it all again from the beginning to the end, and then I'll get back to you.
1: Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. Well, thank thank you, thank you and uh, have have a great day, Mike. Good to, good well, to meet thank
2: you. Your uh, hard work and dedication—it really is special, special, special. I've been looking through those old things from the Hawaii Convention a few years ago. I've been watching through those presentations. So just thank you for putting all that hard work into getting information out there. Really amazing. Thank you. Mm, mm. Well, shalom. Shalom for now. <laughs> yeah, shalom, shalom. Bye. Bye. Hey, well, Bye. Yeah. All right. So, yeah,
0: so that was Mike. Um, so he's the man who's pretty much been making KNF Israel kind of possible to really be honest because, you know, when I first got out here, it was like, I was doing a lot of, uh, like sharing and trying to like do mini workshops and, you know, they're like up North, the response was a lot different. Like a lot of people didn't really know what it was and everything and didn't have time to figure it out. The Israeli mentality is a very quick one. It's like New York on steroids. It's like, you know, they're like, they're moving very quick. It's like, you know, you need to know it it needs to make sense. Coming down here, it was like Mike was already a credible teacher in the area. And the fact that um, he did take to KNF and decided to even share this with the people who's already teaching, um, it's definitely been really amazing. It's been a good foothold for us to continue sharing this information.
1: Oh, to- totally. Totally. Well, thank thank you. And I mean, um, I guess you're uh, you're lucky to be there landing, you know, at his, his uh, uh, kibbutz, I guess you call it.
0: <laughs> yeah yeah uh, he's one of the founding members but it's like it would seem just like a it's kind of like the intentional communities in Hawaii but just done way more efficiently and it's legal on paper <laughs> but um yeah
1: yeah yeah so um so how how have things been going Sam
0: yeah they've been going pretty well um it's actually nice I'm, I've actually left uh, the other place I was working at, and I'm doing more projects here where I live now. Um, so, the good thing is, we get to, we're going to be starting some research actually here in Lotan come March when I get back from Europe. Um, so, we'll actually be sitting down and doing some work on working with salinity problem, uh, trying to work with water retention, and of course, just general education on how to do KNF and how to build up soil. Getting some, getting ready to start some new projects.
1: <laughs> right on, and and last time, you know, we we had about what like a dozen questions or so. Um, yeah. Do do you this time have have a few questions?
0: I actually don't have questions. I think um, after list, after kind of checking some of the feedback, I think people like want to hear me asking questions. Um, so out of uh, out of respect for that. I think it would, um, it might be better to kind of go back, like, and give more of answers because I think, um, there might have been a lot of interest in things, especially for desert agriculture, um, in the water retention. I think that one is a major one, so I think that might be a good place to start, just kind of to start talking about it. But, um, yeah, no, it's, um, it, it's down here in the desert. It, it's been really interesting because with KNF, you know, we come out here into this barren waste or what appears to be a barren wasteland nothing's growing everything's dead but then you look a little closer and it's like you start to notice there's actually life and then you look even closer and you realize there's actually a lot of life and that's kind of been the process um since i've been out here trying to tap into like where is that life and activating it um and i noticed that you know like we were talking before there's a lot of different methods that nature is already using um to retain water and to maintain growth, because like, and, and when I drive around out here, you see these uh, these big acacia trees, um, and they're just growing in the middle of the desert with like rocks around them, no water, nothing. And like, you know, when I look at those trees, like I see a full-sized tree, a relatively full-sized tree, growing in the middle of the desert, nice and green, nice healthy roots, nice healthy bark, leaves, everything, and yet it's not getting watered. Maybe it gets watered once or twice a month um so like the fact that that tree is growing i realized okay there's something going on here um and that's i think where the knf comes in is because what's happening with those trees is they have like a special relationship with the biology and with the microorganisms that are already present in the desert and they clearly have a relationship that's a lot stronger than um than a lot of the other plants that we're trying to bring in out here um, based on the fact that they can survive very easily in the desert. So I feel like the big one is really getting into people's like awareness that k can retain water on on a whole nother level and in like a very different way than I think um, and I think people think is practical because like there have been times where I'll speak to people and like you know I talk to them and you know, saying like, hey, like, you can retain water anywhere from like 15, 25, maybe even 40% if you do this properly. And I think those numbers to them are like, are hard to really believe. Um, And they're really hard to wrap their minds around, especially in a really dry climate. And the way I've been kind of trying to explain it to people to make it a little easier is like, when you think of like a microbe, when you think of yourself, like, if you pour water on the ground in front of your feet, It's probably going to evaporate over time. But if you pour that water inside of your body, it's going to evaporate at a lot slower of a rate because your body's, of course, going to help to store it and everything. So I try to explain to people that the microorganisms are very similar to this, where like the water isn't being stored, like they're not holding water with their arms, like they're holding it within them. And I think that's something that I'd like to go a little more on because, of course, you have uh, a lot more information on those things. And if you want to share, like, just a little more on the water retention, I think those are, I think that's a really big one for people in the desert. And I think it would be a good place to start.
1: Well, well one one factor that um, I, th- I think that's true, you're, you're talking about how my body is is full of water, right? And if you yeah. chemically analyze me, you'll find out majority of me is is pretty much water.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, there's there's other minerals and other things, but I'm mi- mostly um, oxygen and hydrogen, and and that's that's mostly made up of water.
2: Yeah, and then definitely.
1: Some other carbon bonds that hold it all together. So, so I, I like, I like that idea. Um, I, the other, the other thing is that uh, the microbes, they, they know how to create um, like water collectors.
0: They know how to create water. Like they are the water collector or they create water collectors.
1: No, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if we went over this last time, but you know, you know, when you have a glass of water and it's, in it's um, you put ice in it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And yeah. and then the, the the water forms on the outside? Yep. And that water just came out of the air.
0: Yes. Okay, I see what you mean.
1: Like they are literally pulling it out of the air. <laughs> well well so so the way the way that's working, the way that um that water is coming out of the air is based on a temperature differential. Mm-hmm. Like the the cold beverage inside the cup, you know, made the cooler beverage on the inside and the hotter air on the outside. Then, if the cold the beverage, like the cooler temperature, was able to pull water out of the warmer air. Yeah. So, so in the desert, the air is pretty hot.
0: Yeah, that's pretty much. Yeah
1: so to get the water to come out of that air you you don't have to cool it that much
0: okay i see where you're going with this and would you say that the microbes would actually like just their own presence with the water that they have and that they're excreting do you think that would cool it down or do you think their presence would eat it or just naturally the soil is going to be cold enough to make that change already
1: well well no it I mean it has it has to do with the um the air's ability to then penetrate the soil. Okay. So yeah. just because just because the ground is cooler doesn't mean like water's gonna come out of it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It it has to it has to be like form the way the microbes form it where they make these like m- microtubular structures you know you know how they like they form sure. soil <laughs> oh. <laughs> how they form soil aggregates
0: yes now yeah now it's starting to connect.
1: <laughs> yeah so so as you as you get more as the microbes go deeper in there then- oh man that's that's kind of crazy Um, So as the microbes go deeper into the soil, then there's more like microtubulars and more more air going into the soil.
0: So basically what you're saying is by aerating our soil in the desert and getting oxygen into the soil, not only are we giving more oxygen for the aerobic microbes, but that's also going to increase water and not even water retention, but that sounds like that's adding water that's not even existing in your initial equation based on what you're adding to your drip line. So if anything, like you're almost reversing evaporation is what that sounds like. If if I get this right, like if you have the, if you aerate the soil enough, the temperature's changed enough, but now the water, the, the air can get down into your soil causing that change in temperature. The microbes will be able to store that water. Um, basically that water was not initially in your your drip irrigation so like we were talking earlier let's say we're using like 10,000 gallons of water or whatever um if you were using 10,000 gallons of water you might actually now be looking at an extra like five ten percent water instead of a five to ten or five to fifteen percent evaporation rate Is that would that be correct or that's what I'm hearing I don't know if I'm following where you're trying to go with this
2: there yeah
1: yeah 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 no I think I mean I think you're 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 following where, where I was going with the, the idea that as the microbes like make a, a deeper soil, like they, they, you know, as, as they, you know, if, if that, if the microbes are only like an inch thick, there's not very much air going into the soil. And it's in it. I mean, I'm just saying air, you, you were saying oxygen, but I'm, I'm just saying air, like there's all kinds of stuff in air, like water vapor and all, you know, like, yeah like mostly nitrogen actually i like like you know that's for the nitrogen fixing microbes but but just air air in general so like air air is descending into the soil deeper if if the microbes are making that that um that soil aggregate deeper Mm -hmm. so so as it as it goes deeper then the soil gets cooler as you go down further just like thermal you know like that that's yeah. just like you you know you dig a hole down and it's cooler right
0: forgot the exact equation for it but there's like a I know what you're talking about yeah
1: so so those two functions combined of the air entering and then the the ground getting cooler it it creates that same effect of the um of the water vapor condensation, like coming out of the air. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I'm not sure how much water, you know, like you're, you're trying to say like 10% less irrigation that way. I'm I'm not sure how much water comes out through that method.
0: No, I'm saying it would be like, it would be saving water instead of evaporating. Because right now, I believe the evaporation rate is like at about 15% or 10% or something. Um, But that's like the rate that they believe that water gets evaporated as throughout the heat of the summer. So I'm just wondering, like, with this method, it sounds like it could actually, like, not necessarily, like, be adding enough water to have more water, but it could be adding enough moisture and water to actually, cut down on evaporation is what i'm thinking
1: well i mean i think so i think you're correct but i think i think the way the way it actually is supposed to work i mean with it with a desert it means that the soil's not very deep and it's kind of sandy and there's not much air going into it kind of thing but as you as you get the soil structure and as you bring it to life and you know you can use imos to accelerate that But as you, as you make it deeper, what happens is that water comes out of the air into the deep, deeper parts of your soil and then evaporation happens. And that's kind of like a, um, like a heartbeat kind of thing, you know, like, like air goes in down below, but then it evaporates. And it's just like, a um, you know, like, uh, that's always supposed to be happening like in the jungle, you know, like how, how they say like most, rain in the jungle comes from the actual like moisture coming out of trees and stuff.
0: I'm just didn't I am just i have not heard that
1: <laughs> Yeah, you can you can look it up. Like most of the rain that falls like in the Amazon jungle, it didn't come from the ocean or didn't come from elsewhere. It came from the trees like and the microbes off-gassing and it's a special type of like nutrient dense rain that acts as a fertilizer.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I was reading a thing about, I was watching a thing about the uh, the river and the sky in the Amazon so that might have something like a similar connection. But yeah, that that rainforest, like I feel like if if you could study like K and F there for a while, that would probably be the craziest place to work. But um, but anyway, sorry. yeah. so it's, think the coolant, the water is coming from the local environment. If it doesn't evaporate back out, then that cuts off the cycle of rain. Um. The difference with here, though, a little bit is, like, all the farming we're doing out here is, like, incredibly unnatural. Like, even even the natural farming and the organic farming, like, we're still in an environment that hasn't naturally evolved to the point to grow what we're currently growing in. So it's, like, I'm not too sure if that heart-based pattern is going to be more natural or if it's going to be a little off-base because... It wouldn't really be happening here if we weren't they're doing farming here to begin with.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I think I think because you're in an quote unquote artificial environment, you probably need to bring in more carbonaceous material like wood chips or leaves or you know ramial wood chips or whatever to to put that stuff down and then to have then if you use K N F with the microbes. Then it kind of simulates as if it was, uh, you know, wasn't a desert.
0: Yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah, that'd be that'd be interesting to try. I mean, right now we've, I've been using a lot of compost. I um, guess <laughs> that's just what I have a bunch of at the moment, and it's actually been working. It's um, it's kind of amazing watching the soil, like or watching the compost turn from compost to soil, and like seeing like the actual changes of it. But, um yeah, no, the, it's, it's pretty amazing how fast this stuff works, too. But no, I believe it. I think that's an interesting one, though, to try. Because, um, yeah, we've been focusing a lot on, like, the aerating and everything, but it'll be interesting to put a little more focus onto it when I begin a lot of the research I'll be doing. But we did start adding rocks into the garden. Um, and, yeah, so the rocks have been going really well. Actually, down in Sinai, they put in, like, a whole rock field. Um, that's going to be a garden. So it's about not huge, but you know it's like maybe like 30 yards long by like 20 yards wide or so. That's so like a decent section that they turned into the rock section, doing experimenting with that as well to retain water. But th- this method you're talking about now, though, sounds very interesting because for desert farmers, like if someone, if we can get this to the point where like it can actually be recorded numbers and we can figure out how much moisture is being added and everything. Like in a place like the desert, like, you know, every, every drop of water counts. So, like, even if we find they're only saving like one and a half percent, 2% water, like that still adds up, especially when you're doing a commercial like date farm or something and you're pouring 1100 liters of water per plant per day, you know, <laughs> like those things definitely
1: add up. I mean, I think, I think with just, um, you know, using this theory, this, well, it's not really a theory. I mean, it's kind of how, how things work. It's just like an observation of watching the, you know, the microbes make soil structure and then air enters soil and then condensation occurs. And then, you know, and that's, that's the benefit of a, of a deep soil. And I, I think, I mean, I think if you can get it going, well enough, you could probably eliminate irrigation, which most people would look at you and think, you know, you're you're kind of crazy to not irrigate at all. But instead of irrigating, what I, I you know with with these modifications and in this theory of of that more water comes out of the air than you could ever um, irrigate like in and so you're so what's so because there's water in the air and it's going to just go into the ground instead of trying to irrigate and put a ton of water out that's deoxygenated and isn't in the micro level where the where the microbes want the water anyway I'm kind of if I'm irrigating I'm kind of drowning them um so I said and then I and because it's not oxygenated then I'm drowning my roots as well so your irrigation I think even even though it seems necessary in the desert, I think you'll. I think what'll happen is is you'll see there's more air or more water, more water, fresh water, in the air right above. And then the key is just to get the biology to go deep enough and to without without tilling because every time you till you collapse the whole biosphere. But so just, just applying microbes and just deep water, you know, deep watering them to get them to go down. But then eventually once they're down there, then you don't need to irrigate and um, establishing this, this deep microbial water um, catchment system.
0: I like the sound of that. That is for sure. Yeah. If, um. I mean, definitely I don't mind adding something to my plate, that's going to make, make me sound crazy because, being the only person who really knows this stuff in Israel, like every person I share KNF with slightly looks at me like I'm crazy until they actually do the research on it. Um, so uh, why not add this one? Because honestly, like if we can, yeah, like a system like that, like it's like, it's funny because we're talking about it so casually, but, you know, people are spending like millions of dollars in this valley trying to figure out ways to save water. So it's kind of funny how like it might come down to something that's such basic science that could actually work. <laughs> but uh, it'll be really interesting to give this a try because, yeah, if we can get it down to like none, to very, very minimal irrigation, like uh, that would change farming forever down here. And it will also help us solve a lot of long-term problems that we're very rapidly facing with our increased salt intake into our soil.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean I I I see that. I what and what I'm what I'm suggesting is completely eliminating irrigation and in, in other than like other than irrigating to to establish microbes that the idea to irrigate to water plants is that the microorganisms can do it more effectively and this this then comes back to your initial idea of how we got here that you're full of moisture and so am I. And that, that, that amount of moisture is always the microbes are alive and then they die and they're right in their root zone and that moisture is constantly being exchanged. So as you get, you know, not only are the microbes now pulling the moisture out of the air, they're also now these little pouches of moisture in the soil.
0: Uh, stuff that never, it's always so freaking amazing.
1: I'm sorry, like I
0: can't. I think like, the stuff just blows my mind thinking about it. Like, like you just yeah, because when you're talking about this, I'm like visualizing these microorganisms like chilling in the root zone area, literally like how there's so many of them, and they're tiny. Like the amount of water that they can hold just around one plant because of how small they are. That actually really works to their advantage in this situation. Um, so yeah, it's a uh, Wow. Like, you know, if I'm going to, yeah, definitely I'm going to be playing around more with this concept and seeing what we can do. Cause right now the like, farmer's out here and I'm sure the Ayurveda desert is not the only one that could use a lot of help um, because like we've been, like you mentioned before, it's like, this is a relatively artificial environment. Like, you know, people living in, in uh, the Ayurveda, people living in, you know, Vegas and Arizona and like all these desert climates that like, could be easily inhabited but like the way we're living in them is really what makes it I feel like artificial is like we're trying to live with the same like mindset and way of living no matter where we go without taking into account like the actual climate we're in
2: but here we are in the middle of a hot
0: desert living in concrete houses you know what I mean So it's like it doesn't make sense <laughs> like you know it's just it's just silly So it'll be interesting to work on things like this because I think we can start getting back to like how people who were probably living out here, you know, thousands of years ago, or a lot closer to what they were probably doing, it would be my guess, because you know there were empires out here, and I highly doubt that they were um, they were running like forms of drip irrigation, polluting everything with salt. You know, like something tells me they they might have been onto something like this as well. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to try because it gives us an ability to farm a little more naturally out here and be more like the acacia tree and less like the date palm, I guess you could say.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, both, both the the acacia is a deep rooted tree, so it brings moisture up from the depths, which then can feed the whole biosphere up top. And all those little microbes that are bags of water are then being, um, you know, um, replenished by the acacia. So that's that's a cool, uh, you know, interplanting with that and using using instead of trying to put a well into the ground, just using a tree to to dig a taproot down and bring moisture up to the microorganism reservoir. I love
0: it again. So, so simple. Seems like it would be the first obvious answer. yet yeah, So brilliant because it's not, you know, <laughs> it's funny. Like, yeah, of course. Go with the tree that you doing what you need it to do makes a lot of sense um yeah I'm, I'm definitely gonna start actually playing with that as well because now we're talking about we have one tree going down into the depths like closer to the moisture down there pulling it up and then we have all these microbes with like pulling um any moisture they possibly can out of the air that comes into the soil and now like in that middle ground which I guess would be like relatively the root zone area depending on trees were growing um you would roughly get this area that would be like not like a little reservoir but that would start to become like a very large reservoir over time and especially if the surface of your reservoir like the top soil in your area is like biologically adept then that'll definitely help to keep that reservoir down in your soil and not get pulled out to the surface um so no this is this is some pretty good stuff (laughs) like great stuff actually then I feel like every time we have these podcasts, like I get off the phone, like ready to go and like do like hardcore natural farming, you know? <laughs> but um, yeah, but I think we'll, yeah, there's some plan around with that. Yeah, for water retention, like, I think we just can't. like, I mean, between those two ideas of like, one, using the different trees to pull the moisture up and two, using the, uh, the microbes to start pulling the moisture not out of, or out of the air and like into the soil. Um, and I guess three with the rock. So using those three, I think, are really good places to start with for, um, for anybody who's at least listening right now who's in the desert and interested in water retention, which I think is everybody in the desert. So, yeah.
1: Well, I mean, then, then the, the last, well, not the last thing to that, but, but another, another pretty vital component of it is to add enough um, biochar. Um, so just large chunks of burned wood. Um, you know, like maybe the size of your thumb, a chunk of wood that if you can mix those aggregates in that, the the char acts as a reservoir and, um, it's, it's, you know, it's better if you can put it in a compost pile first and kind of compost it a bit. But when you put that char into the desert, it, it acts as like another water tank. Like the the amount of surface area on on a piece of biochar, if you if you unfolded like a grain of biochar, like a like a a centimeter size of biochar cube of biochar, it would fill up like a football field.
2: Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, it's crazy. And so what what that does is that that acts as a reservoir. All those tiny little spots they cling like they they cling to water, or they they're able to hold water. And so, because so, cause if you have a lot of sand and then you don't have that much organic matter, because cause organic matter, it's, it's hard to come by, but a little bit of charcoal in there is like like one ton of biochar is worth like 100 tons of charcoal, or or, or of, of compost, excuse me. So it's uh, like a, a hun- 100 to 1 in terms of its... Yeah efficiency for for what for water retention and desert soils
0: interesting when you say like biochar do you mean like biochar like sealed airtight container for heating or like just firewood up fire would work if it's not like completely turned to ash
1: well i mean in nature it's just like burn trees right like the the forest grows and it burns and then it gets buried you know and so it's there's no retort there, there's no special thing. it's just that's how it's being manufactured in like a forest, for instance but but in our case of of humans, you know we can make it much more efficiently like you were you were talking about some sort of like retort process
0: yeah yeah I mean, I mean but if doing the firewood would work, then that'll be a lot easier for covering a large a large field at least. Because I don't have like a commercial biochar uh, kiln, stuff. to make a, to make a, the amount of char, the retort and everything, that would take like, that would take a while. <laughs> so I was just curious. But so if I can use just normal, uh, like just make a heat fire and just start pulling logs out of that, like that'll be a lot easier to cover more space.
1: Um, yeah, and I'm not sure what the amount is, but just even the smallest bit makes a huge difference in in desert soils for water retention. the, the, the other The other reason for it is that um, it exerts like a really positive charge. Yeah, uh, and and that helps the microbes pump water. Really. So without without a charge differential, without like any. They 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 may have water, but they can't move it.
0: And, and like why, why why is that? I'm just curious, like how this is working. Because like a charged particle, that's more like um like electromagnetic movement, opposed to like physical like push movement.
1: No, but there's a thing called electrical conductivity in the soil. You ever you ever heard of that?
0: I did have actually. I think that's a big part of. Uh, how the microbes share information.
1: Well, part, part of the electrical conductivity, like um, the biochar helps them um, just move water. I I don't know. Like they, I think they have a hard time pumping water up just like you would, you know, like water doesn't really want to go up that way. I mean, water wants to go up individual cells of water, individual atoms of water want to rise, but, but multiple uh, waters together want to pull each other down. That just the way they they work. So water water will pull itself down, and then having the biochar enables them to pump that water back up in a liquid form. Oh huh, Fascinating. So it works
0: like. um Oh my gosh! I forgot what those things are called. Either way, that's cool. <laughs> Very cool.
1: Yeah. So so those. I mean, that combination of the microbes bringing the soil the the air into the soil where it's just full of water filling it into bags and then having enough char to store excess and be able to pump it around and pump it to your roots because because when the the microbes deliver water to the roots the plant then gives them sugars back you know it's like a value exchange system you know they'll say that they'll say they'll do it for minerals but they'll also do it for water
0: oh really T- totally Totally, it's like a it makes, like it, it makes a lot of sense, but um, that's interesting because yeah, I feel like that gets very often overlooked um, when people discuss this process. So that's interesting.
1: Of the microbes like handing water to the to the plants.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because I mean, like usually it's like the microbes are bringing nutrients or minerals or whatever like to the uh, to the root, and like yeah, and then it gets the sugar, and everyone's happy, and then the root do their own thing to, to pull in the water. It's, I think kind of. More of a general story that's uh, that's shared in most like agricultural setting, but it's interesting to to hear about the the more like settled part of the microbes. They're also bringing water, which of course makes perfect sense. If anything, like it, I wouldn't be surprised if they use that water as a carrier for some of these other nutrients and minerals. Which is not things that are discussed it feels like but that's interesting.
1: Yeah yeah and then um and then you said you're using rocks now Yeah. Th- yeah. that was that that was in our previous episode right i was talking about rocks
0: yeah yeah it was from the last one so we have uh the rock garden and a rock uh like farm field but, yeah here my neighbor actually like she started putting in a garden so we turned hers into a rock garden and then the um the EcoCuff, where Mike and I work out as well, uh, over there. Or actually, excuse me, no, EcoCuff. I'm sorry, I was spacing out. Um, over in Habiba, at the Regenerative Agriculture Farm down in Sinai, or Egypt, Regina in Egypt. Um, so anyway, down there at that farm, they have in, like a section that they turned into a rock farm as well. Um, so we have two places doing tests using the rock. Um, the tests up here are working, are definitely proving to be more successful, um, but I also believe it's because my neighbor has a higher quality soil, so her soil already has a high content of chemic acid as well as a good compost, and the stuff in Egypt is pretty much just rocks on sand, so um, it's been a very interesting like comparison, but the, the one down in Egypt, it was very cool because they had already started building it before I even went down there, so it was kind of uh, it was kind of cool to see somebody else who was already thinking that way, but yeah. So we started it off, and uh, yeah, so far so good. The one here seems to be retaining water pretty well, um, but come March, I'm going to be doing more controlled testing on everything, so I'll have I'll be able to like speak a little more confidently about. These like more experimental trials because I'll have like more of exact numbers and I'll be able to see what's really happening,
1: so and that'll be really helpful as well. heard on. Yeah the the rocks the the concept is that the uh, rocks sitting there every time you flip the rocks over they're moist. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and we have these rocks here. They're called uh, people call them like fire stones. I don't know exactly what what they're made out of, but they're a type of rock, but if you get a couple of them together and you smash them, you can get sparks, and they start to produce um fire, of course. So basically, they're those rocks. They have a really, really smooth surface, and I've noticed they retain water better than all the other rocks out here. Like, I have one that I actually just keep in my room, and it's like sitting next to my plants, and this thing literally, like, now that it's covered in the microbes that I've been spraying on my plants, like. this is crazy like this this rock will just never dry like it's just always covered with moisture and it's been like that now for like two weeks and i don't it's like all the rocks around that are bone dry but this one rock like will not dry so i'm like okay i think that's the kind of rock i'm going to try to get as much as i can but yeah it works really well
1: it's kind of funny they call it a fire rock but then it's like actually has water in it Well, that's it for our free episode, so join us at www.microbialsecret.org for the full episode, and join the Microbial Secret Society. So uh, may the
2: beneficial microbes be with you. Aloha.